This morning, as we continue our sermon series called The Bright Golden Line, we're going to read from a request from the book of Psalms. So this comes from Psalm 37, verses 7 through 11. Hear these words from Scripture. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret over those who prosper in their way, over those who carry out evil devices. Refrain from evil and forsake wrath. Do not fret, it leads only to evil. For the wicked shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. Yet a little while, and the wicked will be no more. Though you look diligently for their place, they will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant prosperity. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Guide us, O God, by your word and Holy Spirit, that in your light we may see light, and in your truth find freedom, and in your will discover peace. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Have you ever found yourself being jealous of a dog? My dog, Ruthie, you know, the biggest decision she has to make on any day is which soft surface in the house to lay on next. Her biggest problem in life is trying to figure out how to get more treats out of me, and the most traumatizing event she's been part of in the last month is thinking that she could play around with a garter snake without getting snapped at. This is her world. Ignorance is bliss. And unfortunately, we don't get to live as a people who are ignorant. It's not what we chose. The difference between us and dogs or the rest of creation is that we chose knowledge. In the beginning, when Adam and Eve were in the garden and the serpent came to tempt Eve, it was this promise that not only the fruit would be tasty, but that the fruit would provide wisdom. And so the knowledge of good and evil is the tree she ate of, and the knowledge of good and evil is what Adam ate of, and it is what got them sent out of the garden, never to be the same again. They'll never go back, and we'll never go back with them. We now become the image bearers of God, who truly, as the image bearers of God, have to know what's going on. We don't get to live in ignorance. So what is it that we know over the millennia as we've come to realize that we are the image bearers of God? Who is this God that we are to be the image bearers of? Well, I've mentioned this before very quickly this morning. God is in control. God is the sovereign who controls everything, is almighty. There is not a thing that happens in this world without God's hand on it and not a hair can fall from your head without the will of your Father in heaven. God is in control, and that God has revealed God's self to also be one who has a good plan for you and for me, for all of creation. I win. You win. God wins. And in the kingdom of God, everyone wins, because love wins. A good plan by a God who is in control, and a God who says to us, 
nothing will separate you from the love of God. The idea in Reformed theology is what we call the perseverance of the saints, that God has saved us and there is nothing we can do, no matter how much we mess up, that isn't going to be part of God's plan, that God is always going to save us. It's like what Paul wrote in Romans, For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons Neither present nor future nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is what we know. Along with everything else that we've discovered over the ages, this is what God has revealed to us about who God is. God is in control. God is love and has a plan, and nothing will ever separate us from that God. If you're looking for a story about the knowledge that God gives us about God's self, you don't have to look much farther than the book of Genesis after Adam and Eve comes Abraham. Remember with Abraham, there was this moment, actually several moments, where God repeats these promises. I will make you a great nation. I will bless your name among the nations. I will protect you. I will give you a child. These promises by God, God keeps repeating to Abraham throughout his life. And if you notice, there's one very important thing that, you know, in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul makes a big deal out of, which is, and by the way, these promises are unconditional. There's nothing Abraham can do. There's no way that Abraham will screw up, that he can lose out on these promises. He will be part of a great nation, the father of great nation. His name will be great in the earth. God will protect him and his people. Unconditional. Nothing will separate you from the love of God. God is in control and God has a plan. This is the story of Abraham's life. And it in no way is because Abraham doesn't test it. Abraham spends so much of his time in Genesis working against the actual plan God has in store. For example, uh, time goes on, and this promise that he's going to have a great nation. Well, where's the children? He and Sarah, his wife, have not had any children. One of the first stories of them testing this promise is that Sarah comes to Abraham and says, we haven't had any children. I have a maidservant named Haggai, Take her as your wife and have a, children with her, have a child with her. The child of the promise will be with her. So Abraham does this, and he has a son named Ishmael. And everything's good, except Sarah and Haggai, now both wives of Abraham, can't get along in this new arrangement. And so Sarah says to Abraham, get rid of her. And Abraham says, Sarah, it's up to you. Do what you want. So Sarah throws Haggai out into the wilderness. What is God supposed to do? If God works against Abraham, God can't fulfill God's promise to him. If God punishes Abraham, he can't work against him. If he punishes Sarah, he can't work against him. But yet, Abraham is working outside of the plans God has. Luckily, in that story, the the result is that God saves Haggai from the wilderness, provides for her, and brings her home. But here's another one. 
Sarah and Abraham are wandering through the desert. They find themselves in Egypt, and they encounter the Pharaoh. And the Pharaoh takes a look at Sarah and decides that she is a beautiful woman. And so he asks Abraham what the nature of their relationship is. And Abraham, being afraid, says, she's my sister. Not wife, sister. And so Pharaoh takes Sarah as his wife. And again, the question is, what is God supposed to do? Abraham and Sarah are the promise. It's through them they should have a child. Abraham, terrified that God won't protect him, won't live up to the promise, lies. And yet if God punishes Abraham in any way, you can't fulfill the promise through him. So in this story, it's Pharaoh. Pharaoh is plagued by plagues until he brings Abraham to him and says, what have you done to me? And Abraham fesses up, and Pharaoh sends both Abraham and Sarah on their way. And you'd think at some point Abraham and Sarah would learn this lesson. To trust God. And yet each one of those stories has a duplicate story in Genesis. There's a story about Abraham and Pharaoh. There's also a story that's almost exactly the same of Abraham and a man named Abimelech. Same thing. She's my sister. Years later, it is once again Abraham who casts Haggai out into the wilderness with her son Ishmael. And God has to rescue them again. Here's the point. Ignorance is bliss, but we chose knowledge. And the problem with knowledge is it makes, we, makes us think we know something or that we know better. God is a God who is in control, that has a promise and a good plan for our lives, <clears throat> excuse me, who also then promises then nothing will separate us from the love of God. The promises of Abraham are our promises too. Our words of assurance said that this morning. We are seeds of Abraham. And yet we keep doing the same mistakes, thinking we know, and because we know, we know better. We just get in our own way. And it's God, if God's going to live up to God's own promises, who has to keep rescuing us. And unfortunately, it's too often what that means is that to set it right, to put the world back on course, something has to happen to someone else. There are these good intentions on our part and consequences to someone else. Pharaoh and Abimelech, Haggai and Ishmael, they are all people who got thrown under the bus by Abraham and Sarah trying to do it their own way. Our best intentions can hurt others because we know, but we think we know better. And it wasn't just those four characters I mentioned. In the New Testament, when Paul does talk about this, when Paul talks about Abraham and talks about being the seed of his promise, he also writes this. It's for all of creation that waits longingly through the revealing of the children of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope 
that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. In other words, when we decided it was time for us to know, we captured all of creation in that mess. Don't get me wrong, we are created in the image of God. It is inevitable that if you are the ones created in the image of God, you will want knowledge. But we have made such a mess of it so many times. And other people get hurt. We can't go back to ignorance. We can't go back to unknowing. We can't put the genie back in that bottle. So what Psalm 37 is saying is not ignore it, don't become ignorant but be still. In other words, surrender. Surrender. Surrender to the will of God. Surrender is hard. I can't imagine that many of us are very good at it because we know stuff. And because we know stuff, we should know better. Surrender to God's will is the ideal. Remember that surrendering, though, is going to take a really long time. We're not given all those Abraham stories by accident. You know, the last story of Abraham's life is the one where God comes to him, and he's now had a child. The child of that promise with Sarah is born, named Isaac, and he's young still, but he's growing, he's healthy. And God says to Abraham, go and sacrifice him on an altar to me. It's a terrible story, horrible story. And if you're smart about it, you'll realize that it's one of those stories you just listen to over and over and over again because there's always something in our life in this moment that we need to learn that it will tell. It's, it's a parabolic story. But in the midst of that story, as Abraham takes Isaac, all the way along, Abraham has been the one who has said, I don't know what God's plan is, so let me replace it with my own. But this time, his last story is, among many things, a story of surrender. Abraham finally realizes that his ideas are not better than God's ideas, and so he reluctantly, but he does, go, and he's willing to sacrifice Isaac. Now, if you know the end of that story, God rescues Abraham, rescues the knife right from his hand, and Isaac lives. Surrender takes a long time. We spend a lifetime learning things and knowing things. It takes a lifetime to let go of that and surrender to God. But like Psalm 37 said, it is about being still, isn't it, to surrender. I reminded of a story Early on in ministry, I was at church, and it was one of those meetings where a couple of people were sitting at the table, and they disagreed about something. And so they were, one was going back and forth, back and forth at each other, and I'm just sitting off to the side. And then finally, in unison, I mean, it was just like, it was choreographed perfectly. They're arguing, and then they turn to me and in unison say, aren't you going to say something? So often that is what it comes down to, doesn't it? Some role in our lives 
where it feels like we are getting pressured either by ourselves or by someone else to know what to do next. In that moment, all those years ago, I'm pretty sure I didn't know what to do. I probably did offer an answer. But being still, being still when you don't know is your best bet. Being still reminds you that you don't have to know. And by the way, it's okay not to know. This news cycle this week with pandemics and questions about when we reopen, if we reopen, liberty and murders and race wars. I make the mistake of going on Facebook and I get that story in the back of my head again. Pastor, what do you have to say about this? I don't know. This is as much my advice to myself this week as it is to you. It's too much. I wave the right white flag. It's time to just be still. Just because I know doesn't mean I know what to do next. And so I wait. And that's what I'm going to do. I have no suggestions or answers or ways to even really think about everything that's going on at this moment other than the observation that it looks like the wheels are coming off. But it's okay to wait. And whether that pressure is on the inside or it's someone else saying, aren't you going to say something? I'm going to wait for God to tell me to say something. Do not get me wrong, I am not suggesting that we go back to ignorance. I am not suggesting we go back to throwing our hands up and abandoning the world. But I will act and I will speak in God's time. Be still, I imagine, is a bright golden line because in the end it's a relief to finally admit you know something, but you don't know it all. That humility is not hard. It becomes a gift that can set you free. Free from the idea that you are God. Free from the idolatry of your own self and your own self-interest. I don't know. When God speaks to me and calls me to go and try, then I will speak, then I will act. But in the meantime, be still. Ignorance is bliss. But unlike the rest of the creation, humanity decided ignorance wasn't good enough. We chose knowledge. And ever since, we've been getting in our own way with it. So be still, as the psalmist says. In fact, in closing, let me just read that to you again. Let it be the meditation. Let's take our time with it. Hear these words. And in the midst of a world in chaos, Madness, listen to what God has to share. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret over those who prosper in their way, over those who carry out evil devices. Refrain from anger, forsake wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil. For the wicked shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. Yet a little while, and the wicked will be no more. 
Though you look diligently for their place, they will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant prosperity. Amen. Let us pray. Gratitude, praise, hearts lifted high, voices full and joyful, these you deserve. For when we were nothing, you made us something. When we had no name and no faith and no future, you called us your children. When we lost our way and turned away, you did not abandon us. When we came back to you, your arms opened wide and welcome. And look, you prepare a table before us in the presence of our enemies, forgiving, healing, blessing, and making us new. You are worth all our pain and all our praise. For in us, for in you we were born, for us you healed, preached, taught, and showed the way to heaven. For us you were crucified, and for us after death you rose again. Lord Jesus Christ, present with us now, for all that you have done and all that you have promised, what have we to offer? Our hands are empty, our hearts are full, sometimes full of wrong things. We are not fit to gather the crumbs from under your table. But with you is mercy and the power to change us. Make us restless to change. Make us restless to listen. Help us be still. And help us proclaim always in this life over every other voice the mystery of our faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Amen. So if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. All this is from God who reconciles us to himself through Christ and has given us a ministry of reconciliation. For in him we live and move and have our being. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen, and go in peace.